Book Two, Chapter Ten of the Heavenly Twins. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Heavenly Twins, by Sarah G. Book Two, Chapter Ten. Those who can contemplate certain phases of life and still believe there is a divine providence ordering all things for the best, will see its action in the combination of circumstances which placed Evadne in the midst of a community, where she must meet the spirit of evil face to face, continually, and since acquiescence was impossible, forced her to develop her own strength by steady and determined resistance. But her position was more than difficult, it was desperate. There was scarcely one even amongst the most indulgent of her friends, who did not misunderstand her and blame her at times. She kept the pendulum of public opinion swaying vehemently during the whole of her first season in Malta. Major Livingstone shook his head about her from the first. "'I can't get on with her,' he said, as if the fact were not at all to her credit. He was a survival himself, one of the old-fashioned kind of military men, who were all formed on the same plan. They got their uniform, their politics, their vices— and their code of honour cut and dried upon entering service, and occasionally left the latter with their agents to be taken care of for them while they served. Evadne gave offence to representatives of the next generation also. Seeing that she was young and attractive, it was clearly her duty to think only of meriting their attention, and when she was discovered time after time during a ball hanging quite affectionately on the arm of Mr. Austin B. Price, a dried-up old American, and pacing the balcony to and fro with him in the moonlight by the hour together, when they were plenty young fellows who wanted to dance with her, and when, worse still, it was observed that she was serenely happy on these occasions, listening to Mr. Austin B. Price with a smile on her lips, or even actually talking herself. Why, they declared she wasn't womanly. She couldn't be. Mr. St. John was one of the friends who very much depreciated Evadne's attitude at this time. He did not speak to her himself, being diffident and delicate. But he went to Mr. Price, who was, he knew, quite in her confidence. "'You have influence with her. Do restrain her,' he said. "'No good is done by making herself the subject of common gossip.' "'My dear fellow,' Mr. Price replied, "'she is quite irresponsible.' Certain powers of perception have developed in her to a point beyond that which has been reached by the people about her, and she is forced to act up what she believes to be right. They blame her because they cannot see so far in advance of themselves, and she has small patience with them for not at once recognising the use and propriety of what comes so easily and naturally to her. So far it's easy enough to understand her, surely." But further than that, it is impossible to go, because she is as yet an incomplete creature in a state of progression. With fair play she should continue on, but on the other hand, her development may be entirely arrested. It is curious that priesthoods, while preaching perfection, invariably do their best to stop progress. You will never believe that any change is for the better until it is accomplished, and then there is no denying it and so you hinder for ever when you should be the first to help and encourage. You are bringing yourselves into disrepute by it. Just try and realise the difference between the position and powers of judgment of women now and that which obtained among them at the beginning of the century. And think, too, of the hard battles that they have to fight for every inch 
of the way they have made and the desperate resolution with which they have stood their ground always advancing never receding and with supernumeraries ready whenever one falls out exhausted to step in and take her place however dangerous it may be oh i tell you women are grand grand but i don't see how we've imposed upon them mr st john objected i can show you in a minute mr price rejoined twitching his face it was the submission business you know to begin with not so many years ago we men had only to insist that a thing was either right or necessary and women believed it and they meekly acquiesced in it we told them they were fools to us and they believed it we told them they were angels of light and purity and goodness whose mission was to marry and reform us and above all pity and sympathize with us when we defiled ourselves because we couldn't help it and they believed it we told them they didn't really care for moral probity in a man and they believed it we told them they had no brains that they were illogical unreasoning and incapable of thought in the true sense of the word and by jove they took all that for granted and such was their beautiful confidence in us that they never even tried to think until one day quite by accident i'm sure one of them found herself to be arriving at logical conclusions involuntarily her brain was a rich soil although untilled which began to teem of its own accord and that my dear fellow was the beginning of the end of the old state of things but i believe myself that all this unrest and rebellion against the old established abuses amongst women is simply an effort of nature to improve the race the men of present day will have a bad time if they resist the onward impulse but in any case the men of the future will have a good reason to arise and call their mothers blessed good day to you and don't interfere with evadne and don't think just watch and and pray if you like the old gentleman smiled and twitched his face when he had spoken and they shook hands and parted in complete disagreement as was usually the case end of book 2 chapter 10